0: Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. and along with me on this latest journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Massek. Hello, Jason.
1: Bill, you know, you're an idiot. You're going to die tonight. You'll be ripped
0: from limb to limb. This is the last time I'll ever speak to you. Thank you. That's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1981 fantasy adventure Dragon Slayer, starring Peter McNichol and Caitlin Clark. Directed by Matthew Robbins, this movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 49 minutes. This movie was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Effects, Visual Effect, and Best Music Original Score. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local mom-and-pop video store to rent this movie... This would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Back in the days
1: when everyone believed in magic and dragons were real, a horrifying fire-breathing dragon terrorizes the 6th century British countryside. The only hope for the beleaguered citizens is an aging sorcerer. When he is killed before he can save the people, the task falls on his young apprentice, Galen. Galen's mission is complicated by resistance from the king and by falling in love, but his biggest challenge comes when he is suddenly face-to-face with the dreaded monster, and he wonders if his magic is enough to save him. Dragon Slayer.
0: Oh, (laughs) nice.
1: What's going on, Bill Bant?
0: I am doing well, Jason. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing good. I'm just happy to be here Talking about Dragon Slayer from 1981.
0: Yeah, so that was What's on the Box. Um, Let's move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, why don't you start us off? I will start us off. Thank you, Bill. You know, I have
1: just brief memories of this film. I watched this thing in pieces as a kid. Whenever it was on HBO and that is a vivid memory for me because i certainly did not see this in the theater i was very young being what maybe 7 years old and but when it did come out on hbo i was absolutely fascinated by it. the mythology the lore uh the time period and especially fire breathing dragons it's a win win for me uh definitely in my wheelhouse And so I would catch it on HBO and I'd be like, oh, cool. Here's this strange movie that's just, I find extremely stimulating, again, stimulates my imagination. So I would watch it in pieces. I don't think I ever watched it in its entirety, to be completely honest, which is just kind of strange because it does have its place and it has a cult following, no doubt. But I, you know what? To be completely honest, Bill, I think this was the very first time I've watched this film from beginning to end in totality. So, yeah, yeah. And it was. It was was a great experience. So we'll break it down. I I would say I'm glad I saw it. I I shouldn't say it was a great experience. I'm just going to say I was glad that I finally saw it in its totality so we can talk about it thoroughly. And another memory of mine is always when our young hero Galen, the young uh, sorcerer's apprentice, if you will, is entering the cave, A.K.A. the dragon's lair, because that was always you're going into the uh, the heart of darkness here. I mean that. So that stood out to me, and that's something I always remember from this. I remember being fascinated. I've always been, you know, been fascinated by the medieval times. Let's just put it that way: the Dark Ages, early Middle Ages. It really seems to have been a horrible existence as a human just to exist during that time period. But the legends and mythology that it has inspired continues to be very romantic and always has been romantic in the idealistic way, most idealistic way for me. I honestly haven't done a great deal of research on this period in history, but I'll watch any film or television show that relates to it. I mean, everything from the King Arthur legend. So that means Camelot, Excalibur. Lady of the Lake, Sword and Stone, to like Robin Hood, to Willow, to Dragonheart, to Lord of the Rings, to Game of Thrones, to going to the local Renaissance fair here, uh, which I've been to a few times. I absolutely love it. To the latest binge-worthy show on Netflix, which has been the uh, the Last Kingdom. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but I'm anxiously awaiting the fifth and final season of that. And I'm mostly or most likely going to have to check out Cursed, which I haven't watched yet. That's also on Netflix, which is a variation on the lady of the lake story. So, you know, and I was even thinking about this, that my favorite part about Dracula lore is the history of Vlad, the impaler. And that's kind of why I actually enjoyed the latest iteration, which was Dracula untold, which was not well-received, but that delved a little bit more into the kind of that medieval lore. I don't know. I'm just, it's kind of in my wheelhouse. So basically give me swords, chain mail, and castles and moats and drawbridges and catapults and horses and arrows and magic and dragons and vast European countryside and I'm good, Bill. That's all I'm saying. So go. that's why that's just kind of I'm just I, I broke that down for you because that's again why this particular film still is very attractive to me just because of the genre, because of the the world that it exists in the fiction and. I'll always find it fascinating. So what about you, Bill? What are your earliest memories of Dragon Slayer? In
0: 1981, my mom was pregnant with my sister at the time. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. You and your memory, man. Jeez.
0: So as I've mentioned before in other shows, when we go on vacation, we usually went the last two weeks of the summer up until Labor Day. And then we go to school three days later. Now, because my mom was pregnant and my sister was actually her due date, which would have been super cool, was supposed to be August 1st, 81. So her birthday would have been 8181. 81. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah but, she, but she came a day earlier. So, she, yeah, she would have shared a birthday with MTV. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, since they knew that we were going to do the end of the year summer vacation because of the baby coming, my parents decided. We're going to go to Ocean City, New Jersey in June for a week. That way, you know, we get to the beach, get to do the amusement piers and stuff like that. So we were there the week this movie was coming out. And we were on the beach one day. And like my parents got seriously burned, like big time burned. Yep. And so that next morning, like my parents couldn't even get out of bed. They were just like, go watch TV. And Jason, Ouch. every other commercial on TV was for this movie. Like, yeah, uh, you couldn't. And, you know, back then we only had like five or six channels. So anything I put on when there was a commercial break, it was for Dragon Slayer. And I remember going into my parents' room, the hotel we were staying at and asking my dad, and he's just lying there in pain. Like, dad, (laughs) Dad, can we go see this movie when it comes out on Friday? Can we go see this movie? And he's just like, no, no. So and um, it was coming out that Friday and, you know, I, I was begging them again, could we just see this Friday night? And they're like, no, we got to pack up. We're going to go back home the next day. So I, I never did get to see it in the theater, but I just will always remember being at that hotel and just seeing this commercial over and over again. Sure. That's a great Brian memory. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And the, and the other big thing on the trip was the first time I ever had a Chip Witch which is like the you know, chocolate chip cookies. that was the big thing that year too. Like you couldn't walk a block down the boardwalk without seeing chip but sandwiches for a dime. I
1: can't believe you just brought that up because I I'm not kidding you, Bill. I was trying to remember the name of that. Just recently, I was telling someone how much I enjoyed ice cream sandwiches. Basically, that's my favorite dessert ever. Uh-huh. And I was like, I also really love what are they called the the with the is like a chocolate chip cookie on both sides. It's like a sandwich like and I
0: couldn't think of it. That's it. That's it. They're amazing. And it's got to have the chips on the ice cream on the outside. I won't get the ones that don't have the ice cream. Oh, wow. Chips on it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm very snobby when it comes to my chip witches. Yeah. Because that's what I had the first time. But, yeah, the movie itself, I mean, the things I remember the most was the girl trying to get herself out of the shackles that was getting sacrificed and just how bloody her wrists got. Uh, That makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just just basically using the blood as a lubricant to get her hands out. I remember that. I remember watching and thinking, why is that girl playing a guy? And even at that age, I realized I'm like, it was weird that sure. I knew, I knew that Valerian was a girl from the get-go. So when they revealed that it, it wasn't surprised to me, it was more confusing to me that I understand why I'm like, well, she's a girl. Why Why is everyone saying she's a guy? It's a girl. Right. I c- clearly see it's a girl. Yeah. So that was weird. I can't forget the dragon scale shield. That very cool. Galen had. Um, I thought that was pretty cool that they built a shield and pretty smart to build a shield out of his, uh, the dragon scales. The stupid princess (laughs) sacrificing herself. We're
1: we're going to, we're just going to talk about her name. Elspeth? Oh, yeah. I can't even say her name. I have a comment on that. All right. But we'll
0: we'll save it. Yeah. The fact that she lets herself. That's in my best. That's that's for the complaints department. Baby dragons. And then I just remember. Erick at the end being grabbed by the dragon. That was the big things that stood out for me in this movie. And I going to totally i watching sense. this. I really couldn't remember anything else. So watching this again, cause I probably have not seen this since the eighties. Right. I just kind of remember the pieces. I didn't remember where they happened, but yeah, those were all my earliest memories of dragons slayer. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. First of all, I just want to comment on, the fact
1: that your parents got so sunburned because I can relate, man. And that just has I just I'm having flashbacks already. It just triggers really negative memories for me because I'm very fair skinned. I have a lot of sunburn stories. So I feel for them. But um I'm glad that
0: yeah, and back then you, you had like that stupid spray th- stuff they would put on. I can't remember what it was called. That stuff never worked. It just irritated you more. Oh, to help the
1: soothe yeah. the burn. Yeah. Like some must, sort of aloe spray or something that was supposed to be, or just I, was like, was like I, a cooling. It was supposed to just cool the. I want to say it was like cold sensation.
0: Solar cane? I don't know. Oh, sure. That sounds like, right. Yeah. 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 We, but, we, didn't, uh, we didn't get to the aloe days yet. I haven't come a couple years later where you just slathered that stuff all over you. Yeah. It was a mess. We didn't do anything that next day. They were. Oh, sure. Were oh, it'll ru-
1: it'll ruin your trip real quick. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought up the the shield made out of the dragon scales, because mm-hmm. that would be probably like, I don't know. That would be the prop I'd want from this film. Probably it's pretty oh, yeah. sweet. It is. Cause it makes sense. And it's just, it's just cool. And it looks cool. I, I, I love that prop. Yeah. That'd be so a good, prop. But good memories, man. Cause I remember when I watched this and I was watching that poor virgin being sacrificed and she's just trying to get out of those cuffs as she's attached to the wooden pole waiting for uh, Vermithrax to appear and incinerator her, and her wrists are getting bloody. And she uses, you know, like you said, I, it uses a, the blood as a lubricant. I mean, it's, it's, it's hardcore. That's harsh. Yeah. yeah. I like, I was cringing and I was feeling the pain almost. I was like, I had uh, some real uh, like empathy there for her. And uh, that was uh pretty hardcore. Yeah. I, I was, I was a little surprised by that. Cause it was, little, even though it's not like extremely, graphic or gross it was uh it was just enough to
0: to be effective yeah especially for a pg movie when you know you know dragon's come out and do whatever to her and to struggle and the yeah you, oh, get, you, you do you whatever get, it takes to yeah, get out get, of those yeah you shackles. feel it's you feel the tension with her and just like get out get out get away get away yeah, go, 100%. Go, go, go 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 go
1: yeah and then she gets out which is great mm-hmm. for about 10 seconds yeah Oh, uh, well. Yeah, good stuff, man. I have some other initial thoughts. Yeah, I don't know for. about you. So, as you mentioned, as we've mentioned, this film came out in 1981. There was another very small, small film that came out this year. It was called The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ever heard of it? And funny enough, I'm watching the opening of this film and the credits appear. And I've just been big on credits and credit, you know, title cards and the fonts that they use. And all I could think of as soon as credits came up, the actors, the crew, or the cat, you know, the cast, I'm like, that's the Raiders of the Lost Ark font. I'm like that. They're using <laughs> the same font from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, it just made sense because the effects were done by industrial light and magic for this film. And of course they were also done by ILM for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that may have had something to do with it. And um, speaking of ILM, and I'm just going to say I immediately, because of just the Raiders of the Lost Ark, reference but also ilm of course being famous for their work on the star wars films and that's where i'm going to start in on the star wars comps man the star wars comparisons immediately just hit me as soon as you see peter McNichol in this film i was like oh my god he actually looks like mark hamill right he looks like mark hamill with curly hair that's exactly what i wrote down Mm -hmm. and i'm like even his cadence is similar the way he speaks I was like, is this, was that a directing choice? Because just from the get, I'm going, wait a minute. This is, they're just doing Star Wars in the dark ages, but it's I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about it. Good idea. Let's do Mm -hmm. this. Now he's even wearing the same color clothing, really going for that, what I'm calling the beige apprentice look. Yes. Which was a trend at the time.
0: It really makes him stand out. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he's like one color and everybody else is like darker.
1: Yeah, and that's you know something that's that identifies that archetype of the you know of the journey from innocence to experience. Something I give credit to my uh, honors English professor for pointing out when I did a uh, project in English class discussing um, Carl Jung and uh, oh my gosh, here's the big one that uh, I'm, I'm missing here discussing the archetypes? It'll come to me in a moment. But he pointed out the costumes, the clothing, and how Luke Skywalker in a new hope is wearing white. And then he goes to the fatigue, the beige fatigues and empire strikes back. And then in Jedi, he's wearing black. Mm -hmm. So that's the symbol, you know, symbolic of the journey of innocence to experience. And here we have our young apprentice in Galen played by Peter McNichol. And he's wearing that, that beige, very similar to kind of that. uh, I don't know what you would call that. What Skywalker was wearing in a new hope. Tunic. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Joseph Campbell was who I was trying to remember. Oh, was right, big, right, on, right, Big on archetypes. Yes. So back to the Star Wars comps, even the movie poster for this is very similar to the Star Wars poster, where you have Luke, legs kind of spread in that stance, the hero stance, holding the lightsaber up. Here we have Galen, legs spread, looking strong, muscular, holding the spear up in the air with valerian standing behind him just like leia standing behind luke in the star wars but i mean the you can the comparisons are uh are many uh other initial thoughts i i immediately loved the old sorcerer ulric i thought he was great especially when he puts on his foreboding snake hat in the beginning yes very funny hat that what i I couldn't tell if it was cheesy or cool but i landed on cool i um and uh One of the funniest things is is then when Valerian shows up with her crew to present her case to Ulrich because he's this powerful sorcerer and they want him to help them defeat this dragon. And they say, we've got this this dragon who uh, and here's proof that the dragon exists. The dragon is alive. And she presents these scales that are supposed to be like dried out scales. And immediately he holds them up. And I swear to God, Bill, this is going to be the weirdest comparison I'm going to make or reference I'm going to make. They look like Wilson, the volleyball from Castaway. (laughs) That's all I could think of. I'm like, what the hell do those dried out dragon scales look like? I was racking my brain trying to figure it out. And I was like, oh my God, it's Wilson from Castaway. That handprint that, you know, because he had the bloody hand and he puts it on the ball. And then it becomes Wilson. And then he dresses up the ball with like the thin leaves, gives it hair. Uh It looks like the dried out scales from. Oh, okay. I'm just saying from, from dragons. It's just really weird. Just put those images side by side on your computer someday. Yeah. Anyway. uh, And then of course, back to the star Wars comps, the Supreme Obi-Wan Kenobi moment, right at the beginning when Ulrich sacrifices himself. I mean, it's like, I'm dying so that you can go on your journey sort of thing where Obi-Wan kind of gives up in his duel with Vader in this scenario. It's Ulrich sacrificing himself to tyrion and peter nickel has to uh kind of look on helplessly uh so that was a very very like direct reference to a new hope peter McNichol can obviously use the force he does this to undress an old man which is really gross but uh you know for our listeners he does i'm just joking around here there's a sequence where he uses magic Cause he's this young apprentice. He's using his magic to just show his ability to the uh, older man um, in this uh, Hodge, who was kind of the, the caretaker. Thank you. Yes. And uh, for our listeners, Hodge, by the way, looks exactly like the old man named blue from the movie old school.
0: Oh yeah. They could so, be distant cousins.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just so you have a, have an image in your head there. Uh, another initial thought, the King named Cassidorus Rex. What a great name. Cassiodorus. Excuse me, the King Cassiodorus Rex. I love this. There's a brief scene where he's trying to use the amulet to turn lead into gold. Oh, He's kind of rubbing it on the... Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, look, right next to it, he's got uh, the lead Jenga game. Yes. It's (laughs) just a little set. It's just Jenga, but with lead, lead, little lead bricks. I felt like in this film, they had gone with the Spielberg approach of kind of like less is more. And that's, we'll get into a little discussion, you and I, about this film overall and how I see it now as, versus how I saw it as a child. Because now I felt this film was a lot slower than I was expecting. It felt, and I hate to be harsh right off the bat here, but it just felt a little flat to me. It just was like, I was surprised. I was like, when is something going to happen in this movie? And of course, when I say less is more the Spielberg approach relating to the creature, who is the big star of the film. We're not going to see uh, uh, Vermithrax, our dragon, too quickly. You know, they don't want to give it all away and you just get little bits and pieces, which is smart. At the beginning. But um, this film takes its time. And now I, I kind of honestly do remember why I didn't remember it, because I think I either blocked it or I chose to only watch the last half hour.
0: <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs>
1: Because there's, I went back over this film, kind of broke it down for myself in my notes as well, just going, actually, there is a lot that happens in it. It's just the execution of it is a bit flat. There's things that happen. It, there isn't a lot of excitement, or I didn't feel the stakes were necessarily high enough outside of a couple of scenes. Like you did mention, of course, the first, the, the sacrificial virgin. Like that scene's pretty tense. I have to admit that much. But a lot of the,
0: let me ask you about that because yeah. this is what I was thinking when I was watching the movie. That should have been the first scene of the movie.
1: Oh, see, thank you. Absolutely, 100%. Cold open. Yeah. But it's a different, I think it's that's an example of how things are done a little bit differently now because that's kind of like you need that hook, right? Yes. And this is kind of a slow burn. And they're hoping that you're just going to immediately be immersed in this world and be interested in this. This kooky old, you know, sorcerer, hold up with his apprentice in this castle in the middle of nowhere, in this uh, strange fictional land. But nothing really exciting happens for the first twenty five minutes. No. So it's like, okay, well, I was I was a little surprised by that. I'm like, wow, this is a slow approach. And I agree with you. So yes, I agree with you. That should have definitely been the cold open. Was would have should have been the initial sacrifice where of course you wouldn't reveal the entire dragon. You don't see the whole thing, but you get the gist. You'd be like, Oh my God, this thing is intimidating. You have the sound design, which I thought was great too. Mm-hmm. I thought mostly every, mostly everything relating to the dragon was very cool. Still. I mean, I'm being very very forgiving of some of the effects because it, clearly they're dated and this is technology that was still being either improved or still being invented at the time. So it's impressive. You have to put it in the correct perspective here, but this film was a lot slower and a lot flatter than I was expecting. And that's okay. It's great. That's fine. It's still, I still appreciate it for what it is, but yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I, and Peter McNichol is, I love him. I think he's a great actor. It's just that he was strangely confident for most of the film. I only felt like he was really, truly in danger when he finally goes in for his confrontation against Vermithrax towards the end. And even then, I wasn't really afraid that he was in a, that much danger. You just got the sense he was, he just was going to be fine. He was going to get out of it. I don't know. It was a f- strange watch for me from that perspective, but it was just kind of flatlined a lot of it for, for me, but that's my opinion. Did you have any other like initial thoughts on this uh, rewatch?
0: Yeah, mine was when the movie was over, I was kind of like, and you and I have talked about this, too. You know, everything gets remade. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it's stuff we don't want touched because it's like the original was fine. This one, I was like, this is the type of movie they should remake. Good call. There's a lot of elements there, but there's just little bits and pieces throughout that was just missing for me. That was driving me nuts. And I was like, oh, if they redid this and put these pieces in, and now with the special effects. Right. If they redid this, though, I would still want the animatronic puppet dragon. because, Absolutely. even then, because there's that one shot where we see Galen goes in with the dragon slayer to, to fight, and the dragon does the run down the tunnel. And I was like, holy crap, that looks amazing. This is 40 years old. And oh yeah! An amazing effect, like the composite stuff. Yeah, you can see that's bad. They would be able to fix that, but just the shot of the dragon moving was cool. You have the dragon right. when it pops out of the water above his shoulder. I'm like, oh, that the dragon is gorgeous. So okay. cool. And oh, it's
1: it's it's really impressive to look yeah. back upon it now and say, wow, look at what they were able to accomplish that mm-hmm. with that. And we'll get a little bit into it as far as the special effects and. Obviously, we we had already mentioned ILM worked on this, and we'll get into uh, Phil Tippett, who was in charge of a lot of those creature effects and the technology, the stop motion, or I should say go motion that was developed in what you were just talking about. The movement of this dragon was really cool. And you actually pinpointed the sequence that was the coolest thing to me of all of it was that Battle when Galen goes into the dragon's lair into the lake on fire. And there's the great, don't get me wrong. There's the, and of course, the awesome shot of the dragon's head coming up from underneath the water right behind him. So intimidating, but the shots of that dragon chasing him through the caves and crawling through yes, was so cool. Yes. So cool. I'm like, that's awesome. It can squeeze through there. it knows how to it seemed completely flesh and blood alive, yeah fully three-dimensional, like a real creature coming after him and angry and emotional. they pulled it off. It's impressive. Yeah yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I think you even look at the beginning. like you have the, the group go to see Earl Rick. Can you name anyone in that group besides Valerian? Like you don't know anything about them. And they no. all camp. Nothing really happens. And it's like you waste like 20 minutes of this movie with this group of people and you don't know anything about them. And I was just like, yeah, that's what you need to or just bring the people to the castle or to Earl that are important to move the story along. I just felt like there was a lot of wasted pieces. Couldn't
1: agree more. And I think that ties right into what I was saying about I didn't feel as though for some reason, the stakes were that high. And I think it's because I didn't have any attachment to some of these characters and their relationships due to what you're talking about, which is lack of development. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to really know. And I'll get to it later on. And again, when it comes to the complaints department, when it comes to some of these relationships, I was like, some things happen and, you know, a relationship matures. And I'm like, where did this come from? I didn't see this development happen at all. Or it wasn't enough for me to buy it in this moment. And it just it scratches the surface, like it's just giving you bits and pieces of pieces. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it, but I'm not invested because they didn't take the time. It just kind of moves along at a steady pace and gets through it. So I didn't. I didn't have a lot of emotional attachment to the characters. And again, as much as I like Peter McNichol, it's like. Yeah, I understand. He's this brash young apprentice who's kind of going out there saying, "You know, I'm I'm the hot shit guy who is going to save the day." And yeah, I don't
0: see him really put in his place. That's what I said, know? or at least see how he's growing from when he left the castle, the growth, right? To seeing the his initial confrontation with the drag, not even the confrontation, he just goes to the the layer and, and knocks the mountain down on him. It's like, okay, he can float an egg and he can take Hodge's clothes off. But I was like, I would like to see the magic somehow help the group on their journey back. Like some like some kind of confrontation happens and he has to use the magic to save him. So so the villagers get the confidence like, okay, maybe we do have the right guy. And then right. so, so then they would be more excited when he gets to the dragon's lair and drops the mountain on it. So then then they get more confident like, oh, yeah, okay, he does know what he's doing.
1: Oh, absolutely. You touch on something like I had just had a million thoughts right now because specifically, I'll just make another comparison to Star Wars when you're talking about the the hero's journey, right? And the mm-hmm. the hero's arc. When we watch Luke Skywalker, he makes the the mistake of being too brash and rushing into face Vader, right? And he gets his ass handed to him and he's put in his place and he has to learn from his failure. And that's the second act, you know, that's part of the second act, right? You yeah. don't really see that here where he's, you know, on his journey where he's that growth process from that uh, innocence to experience. And I think where this movie really fails, in my opinion, is that in the end, he doesn't he's not really the hero. He <laughs> in a
0: way, I right. actually
1: break this down later again. in my nose is just the fact that Ulrich comes back and is actually the one. Uh, spoiler alert! Turn off the podcast for the next thirty seconds if you don't want to know the end of this film. Okay, Ulrich destroys Vermithrax. Mm-hmm. He's the one that kills the dragon, not Galen. So where's what's the point here of watching Galen on this journey? From he doesn't actually he there's a uh, anyway I, I get I got a little confused because we want to see him become what he's meant to be, like the transformation of Young Apprentice to then Master, right?
0: Right, exactly. And you would think Ehrlich's plan, in a way, was to have that happen, but you never see it. Mm -hmm. And then Ehrlich just comes in to clean everything up. But yeah, you don't really see...
1: See, I thought that was cool. I, you touched on a point that I, I agree with you. I think that's very cool that Ulrich had a plan all along that it was, again, he has the Obi-Wan moment in the in the beginning where he sacrifices himself because I feel that he ne- he knows that he's older, he can't make the journey on foot, and that Peter McNichol needs to learn. He needs to kind of go out on his own and mature as the apprentice and, and fail and pick himself up again and Become the sorcerer he's meant to become, but then at the end he comes in and kind of does all the work instead of Peter McNichol, instead of Galen. Right. So the that work was cool. Together. That he, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, yeah. So it was it was a strange end to the film for me, uh, but we'll get we'll get back into that. So.
0: So like I said, I wish someone would go back and and this would be yeah a- great call. They told me they were remaking it. I'm like yeah. Please go for you it. You could do it. Sure. All right. Um, so let's move on to our next segment, which is favorite scenes. Jason, what do you have for favorite scenes for Dragon Slayer?
1: So my favorite scenes, my first one would have to be when now at this point, gosh, man, we you were now you got me going because the first, the first sacrifice of the virgin was pretty good. I would have to put there that, that we've already, we've already broken down that. So I'm just going to get to my, the one that I wrote down first, uh, which is um, after supposedly Galen, our supposed hero has basically unleashed this rock slide that blocks the whole entrance to the dragon's layer and, or has crushed the dragon Galen supposedly now has saved the day and he returns to the village, the hero and, it turns out that he actually didn't save the day, that he's only angered the dragon, and the dragon comes from underneath the ground and causes an earthquake. And at this point now, Galen has actually been imprisoned by the king, and he escapes during this time. But the thing is, is that the villagers have a holy man named Brother Jacobus that uh, believes he can take his uh, followers out to the dragon's lair and face the dragon one-on-one, be- the thinking that the dragon is actually the embodiment of the devil and can use religion to fight and defeat the dragon. And it's just kind of a fun scene. We'll get into it one because of the actor playing brother Jacobus, but also how he just goes right up against the, the dragon Vermithrax and gets incinerated. And it's one of my favorite scenes because of this terrible effect, but cut and it's just funny. It works, but it doesn't work. It's so bad. It's good. Is you see brother Jacobus with I believe he's holding his like his staff with the cross on it yeah. he's yelling up at the dragon and we hear that you can hear the the sound in the sound design the sound effects that the uh, dragon is inhaling and he's about to unleash his uh, fire breathing upon the brother and uh, the, the flames come out and it cuts immediately to brother Jacobus where he's got hair and then the very next second it's a smash cut to all of a sudden he's burnt to a crisp. And it's almost comedic, um, but it's horrible at the same time because you know he's been incinerated, and then he falls to the ground in flames, engulfed in flames. But I enjoyed that scene, the build up to that, uh, all hell's breaking loose. So that was my first uh, kind of favorite scene there.
0: Mine was like I said, with the opening too with the sacrifice of the virgin. I thought was pretty cool and pretty tense. But just finally, the reveal of the dragon was just has man. to be, yeah it was it's worth the wait because yeah. and we you know we've mentioned this already it just looks awesome it moves awesome i mean there was definitely some work put into this thing you can tell it's a 400 year old dragon that has gone through the ropes and even when even the shots when it's flying and you see it's one wing it's you know it's it's kind of shredded a little bit mm-hmm. but not enough so it could fly but yeah that scene when it just comes out of the water above galen and you're like, oh, you finally get to see it. And he looks at it face to face and you see it for the first time. You're like, man, that is one awesome looking dragon. He's scary.
1: He's scary yeah. looking at it. And there's that so much attention to detail.
0: Yeah. It's not your little happy green dragon with the purple belly kind of thing and in tiny wings. Right. This would, and it's not like,
1: cheesy. It's no. not like half assed. No. You look at the thing as it's coming out of the water and it's like, Jesus, this thing is demonic and he, like it just kind of, it's gross, but cool. I mean, it's disgusting and
0: awesome. Old lore stories. They really try to put that on the screen. And yeah. not, it's not Pete's dragon. So we'll say it that much. It's definitely not Pete's dragon. Reveal of the dragon is uh, my, my favorite scene in the movie. Couldn't
1: agree more. That was my other favorite scene as well, Bill Band. I mean, it is my favorite scene. Uh, from beginning to end, once Galen en- enters the dragon's lair. From the moment that he descends down into the lair and he goes down to the rocks and he actually slips for a moment and his feet almost go into the water. And the water is probably the coolest thing for me, too, in the scene because it's on fire and it just looks cool. I mean, you're in this underground lair and this lake exists down here and it's like just random parts of it are set aflame and it's just a wonderful set it's a wonderful set design. They put a lot of work into, obviously, a lot of a tremendous amount of uh, detail into just the set alone. And then he has to hop from rock to rock, and he's holding the drag, what's known as the dragon slayer, the spear, and his dragon scale shield. And then, like you said, the dragon comes out from underneath the water and uh, behind him. And it's just, it's just, it's a great setup. It's a cool scene. And that's the one point where you just—I feel like—you know—he gets his ass kicked in a way. I mean, he doesn't really get injured, but you watch this dragon just chase him out of the lair, and it's the effects are pretty, pretty smooth using that that go motion technology. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say. The fire water was really cool. That was the only thing I really had to add to that. I agree with you, man.
0: Yeah, and you kind of mentioned set design. I I thought that was pretty good throughout the whole movie
1: true yeah 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 like production <laughs> design yeah yeah sure even
0: Absolutely. the village i love like even in the village when you had the main road the main road was almost flooded and um tyron comes in with this group and they literally have to like Tyrion. gallop through yeah. tyrian yeah gallop through that you're not got to screw up somebody's name jesus oh yeah no. um, and they come in through you know the main road and it's like underwater it's just cool even the castle itself i lo- thought looked great all real
1: castles uh yeah. mostly shot in uh, Wales. I think they only did a small part in Scotland, but uh, most of this was shot on location.
0: Yeah. In Wales. Yeah. And everyone looked like they were from that period, except for Galen. <laughs> he stood out like a sword. L- little too clean. Yeah. That's great. Uh... So yeah. Kudos to whoever did the uh, set design and costume design for that. Uh, it's really good work. And it, And I think that was kind of one of the weird things as a kid looking back on that, knowing it was kind of Disney. Because you're like, this ain't Disney. You know, this this definitely feels more paramount than Disney. That's for sure. Yep.
1: Yep. It was a joint production, Mm -hmm. which we will also talk about. But uh, yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because I'm thinking about this now, too. Like our favorite scenes. And really, our favorite scene is the same. And it's that particular scene that happens in the last quarter of the film. I mean, it's the last half an hour. Yeah. That's when stuff actually happens in this movie. And again, it's not that's not entirely true. Other things happen, but this is when it's exciting. Something exciting happens. Mm-hmm. And it looks fantastic. It is and so to your point it is worth the wait. Yes.
0: Yeah, cuz I mean they tease the dragon throughout and you see body parts throughout. Right. And even that the the claws the tail. And the tail
1: cool shot that's also a cool shot in that scene is with the tail sliding over the rock when he's going underwater yeah that's in the beginning of that that scene
0: yeah and even when you see the full scale dragon flying like the flying effect does not look great but the dragon no, still no. looks the dragon it's itself dated. still looks amazing yeah right we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the Earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become?
1: Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass.
0: So that was our favorite scene. So uh, let's move on to soundtrack. Jason, yeah, you want to soundtrack for us.
1: You know, it's funny as I was uh, preparing to get onto this this call and do this podcast with you tonight, I put on the soundtrack to just uh, listen to it and see if I would be inspired by it because I watched the film and this soundtrack did not do a whole lot for me. It's orchestral. It's fitting for the genre. I found it a little strange. I found it a little uneven and I'm thinking back upon it and going, what were the themes? And then in my research, I discovered that our composer, Alex North, who did the official soundtrack, Actually, had five thematic concepts. This is according to Wikipedia. And they're listed. And I'm not going to go over them now because I didn't hear them. <laughs> and, uh, the soundtrack, ah, meh, it was okay. You know, it didn't stand out to me. I mean, it stood out, but didn't stand out. Alex North would go on to do other big movie scores like Pritzy's Honor. He actually did the score for Good Morning Vietnam. I think the score overcompensates at times. It really tries hard to keep up the suspense and dramatic effect when absolutely nothing is happening. When I'm talking about like, it's such a weird thing in this film where there's a couple of extremely slow death sequences. One is in the beginning with Ulrich when Tyrion stabs him in the chest Mm -hmm. and Ulrich does this kind of, uh, it just takes him forever to die. And then Tyrion himself, at the end, when Galen stabs him with the dragon slayer through the wooden post, which I thought was a cool moment, it takes about five minutes to for Tyrion to finally collapse. He just just, just it just takes way too long. But then the music will just build and build and do all these things. And I'm like, there's nothing, what? What's going, there's nothing happening. Why, why is the music going crazy in this moment? So it was a little bit of a weird contradiction with the music and then what was actually happening in the scene. So it, that's just my opinion, though this score was nominated for best original score. So yeah, I was going to the say that. Fuck am I, t- what the fuck am I talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Apparently.
0: I think you have something against Academy award nominated musical composers, because this isn't the, Except for
1: the one who's most nominated, which it would be our guy JW.
0: So that's what it I think does. it is. You, you just think everybody else is just, I just compare. Everybody. <laughs> I you just, you just, want, you just want to put them down.
1: That's I, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. I thought this was uh, interesting, too, is that some of the score by Alex North was music he'd originally composed for 2001, A Space Odyssey, that went unused. And I think some of that is actually heard in the opening track when the film begins. There you have it. I thought the, the score was okay, but not very memorable for me because I found it on YouTube music and I played the playlist and I'm listening to it once again. I'm like, I don't, I'm not, this isn't doing it for me. It's not blowing my skirt up, but that's just me, my opinion. And I'll leave it there.
0: Yeah. I, I know I was kind of listening to to pick out like, Oh, what do you think? Was this going to be in 2001? Was this going to mm-hmm. be in 2001? And there was like two or three pieces. I was like, Oh, I'm sure this was originally supposed to be in 2001. They, and they never used it, but uh, I'm just going to jump ahead for a fun fact about Alex North. So Alex North was nominated for 15 Academy Awards, never winning once. So some of the scores he was nominated for uh, included a streetcar named Desire, Spartacus, Cleopatra, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, But he did receive an honorary Oscar in 1986 in recognition of his brilliant artistry and the creation of memorable music for a host of distinguished motion pictures. I don't think Dragon Slayer was on that list. Yeah.
1: Wow, well, I just feel like an asshole now. That's but, okay. Uh, that's,
0: that's, you know, if someone's not, we just know, Jason, if a music composer hey, is nominated for an Oscar and they were up against John Williams, you're just going to hate on him. That's fine.
1: I'm just saying, Alex North, Maurice Jarre, they're kind of hanging what? out together in, in, a, in the dark corner. In they're not John
0: Williams. I got it. They're not John Williams. I. <laughs> that's okay. All right. We're only going to do this segment from now on if John Williams is doing the music because right. we, we just know <laughs> just, we are. We could just play this segment over and over. That's again, how we'll start it. You'll
1: August. say, hey, do you want to do the music? And I'll be like, did John Williams do the soundtrack? And you'll be like, no. And I'll be like, hey, no we have nothing to talk about.
0: Okay. that. <laughs> All right. So let's let's move on to our next segment. So this is our Swiss cheese or complaint department. And we call it Swiss cheese because.
1: Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes.
0: Yes, and if it's not Swiss cheese, it is a complaint we need to file with the complaint department. All right, Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaint department?
1: I'll start with Swiss cheese because I only have one hole, and it's a big hole for me. Okay. Here's the deal. The king is holding lotteries for a virgin to be selected and sacrificed as an offering to the dragon. So here's an idea, Bill. If you're a virgin, just go get laid. Problem solved. Done. Although I suppose the entire kingdom of Erland would be raised, meaning like burnt to a crisp, but at least your ass wouldn't be burnt alive. That's all I'm saying. Just, you know, easy fix.
0: Jackson, that's my whole. That's uh, <laughs> That was exactly my Swiss cheese. I was like, yes. <laughs> it was like, okay, so you need to sacrifice. That's right. I you love need it. To sacrifice virgins to appease the dragon. So, how does that work? Right. How does the dragon actually know we gave her or him? We don't really know uh, what the dragon sex is because we see that dragon has babies. So how does the dragon know that like you just don't throw anybody up there? Do you know, get some old hag who's dying anyway and just string her up. And why does yeah. it have to, why does it have to be virgins? Why, why well, does how the dragon, see, how the dragon negotiate a, that lack of development? That's what we're talking
1: about. Right. Bill is like, because in my mind I'm going, oh, okay. Cause I was reading, the what's on the box, or something. I don't know what I think that's what it was. And I'm like, oh, it's because the dragon is 400 years old. It's getting old and decrepit and it needs vitality, it needs to retain its vitality. And thus, it needs the purity of a virgin to keep him uh, or her, I should say, young. And that's kind of like taking the uh, life force or the soul of a virgin would retain its youth, the dragon's youth. So, but that's not not no, there's none of that in this. There's no explanation for why it has to be a virgin. And yes, how would the dragon know it was a virgin unless the dragon could literally pick up on a certain scent that the, this this young female was of was pure, that she had not been touched by another man, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. I, I don't know. It's just not explained. So if you're a virgin and you know this is how it works that first of all, why would you admit it? to be like, Oh yeah, geez. You know what? I am a virgin. You're going to have, yeah. Put my name in the, in the, uh, put the my hopper. name in the hat. Yeah. No, no, that's no. I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to lower my standards really quick Yep. and just find some dude next door and let's, let's make this happen and uh, let's get it over with. And then, Hey, I'm good. Mm-hmm. My my name's not going into the the hat to be chosen to be uh burnt to a crisp by the dragon. So that yeah, I think that's kind of an obvious hole. Yeah, I, there's all kinds of questions around it, right?
0: Yeah. I just want to know how they negotiate it. You know, do the king go up to the dragon's doorstep <laughs> right. and be like, hey, they so, what, right. so, what, so, what, so what we got what do we gotta perfect. do to have you stop burning our village? <laughs> like it's so true knew, yeah saying, it's who, like, who negotiated that
1: like how did they figure it out was it just by like uh trial and error they just realized oh yeah, you know what that after the dragon ate that virgin jill you know she we all knew she was a virgin and he the dragon seemed really full after yeah. that and didn't bother us for a while maybe that's it that's the trick let's keep doing that
0: yeah. Do they start with chickens? And then right. like, all right, chickens aren't working. Let's try. Yeah, some that pigs. didn't work. And then how would they know? How would they know to do it twice a year
1: on the solstice?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: See, again, it has the makings of some cool lore, but just let's let's give it give us a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know. That's hilarious. All right. That was our whole. Yeah. Should we just continue to yeah, file some good. issues with the
0: complaints department? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So my first thing was Galen gets this dragon slayer made for him to take on the dragon. And it's this incredible metal that can cut through anything. Right. And then you attach it to a crappy stick. Why don't they make the whole (laughs) spear out of that metal? He ran out of the precious
1: metal. Apparently he only had enough to make the, the actual tip of the spear.
0: Okay. I would buy that if it was something that they could rarely find. But I was like, yeah, you're, this thing is only as strong as its weakest link. And you got a crappy stick holding onto it. And sure. Oh yeah. It just snaps. It snaps right into the dragon's neck.
1: Thing was at first, the way that it looked, it looked like the entire spear was black. I thought the entire thing was metal. I didn't know it was, it could snap in half until it did. And then you're like, well, that's a weak ass piece of shit. What the, what the fuck, what, why is it only the tip, the the head of the spear, metal? Yeah. And what was the what was the precious metal that he used that was able to pierce the skin of a dragon? I mean, I don't know because all I could think of, of course, now is dragon glass. You know, from Game of Thrones. I'm don't you didn't watch the show? Did no, you? I didn't. Yeah, okay, it's all right. Everybody's but, screaming
0: the, right now. What?
1: Yeah, that we'll we'll cut that out uh, for your sake, Bill. Thank you. But so I'm going. What's the metal that he used? But okay, well, I'll just go with it. All right, it's this special. But that would have been a cool story to go find this metal. Yeah. Again, development. I'm glad you brought up the spear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: aka this is this is Valerian's father, who's a blacksmith who built this spear and then calls it Dragon Slayer. We see that it's this extremely special metal, powerful, strong, extremely. Strong enough to pierce the skin of a dragon. Great. And not only that, but it's also forged by the heat from Galen's amulet. He uses the amulet to like superheat it and make it even more special. And we're like, oh my God, this thing's awesome. And we actually get to proof as to how awesome it is because Galen swings the spear down and literally slices the end off of the blacksmith's anvil. Yes. Damn. That spear. Pretty awesome. Except then, and just seeing after this, Galen fights Tyrion in a, oh. in a duel with a spear and a sword.
0: That's a good one. I didn't think of that I started saying it.
1: What the fuck? Wouldn't Galen's spear just cut that sword in half immediately? Just yes. slice it. Like, that? what is going What is happening here, Bill? I'm going, what? This should be over immediately. Anyway, there's no way Tyrion's sword would have stood up to the dragon slayer.
0: Yeah. That's a weird fight scene because you, Oh think- my God,
1: there's a star Wars comparison there too.
0: Oh boy. Here we go.
1: Oh, it's just simply because what's going on with all the sparks in the blue glow. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it clearly like they're trying to emulate the lightsaber duel here? I mean, it's like they're dueling lightsabers. There's no reason why they should be sparking and in- there's electric sparks and glowing going on during this duel between Tyrion and Galen. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on right now.
0: Yeah. It's a weird fight because you have Tyrion, who's an experienced swordsman, versus right. Galen, who has, we, we don't know if he has any fighting skill whatsoever, but Galen has a spear or weapon that would take out the sword. Right. So yeah. No, oh, this, yeah.
1: Good point. And the whole, so that means this duel makes no sense at all. No. From any perspective. Yeah. Right, right. Tyrion is supposed to be, for, and I didn't even really realize this until I did the research is that he's the head of the King's guard. So he definitely has fighting experience. Like he's yeah,
0: a, that didn't really make any sense in the beginning either when he shows up and you're kind of like, well, who's this guy? But uh, That's he also,
1: here? well, let's, let's just keep complaining, man. All right, am Let's I'm pissed now. <laughs> I'm it. kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, well, I'm going to go back to the top of my, my list here. I, my my thing again was that things happen in this movie, but they're just boring. I was like Ulrich sacrificing himself at the start. Eh, it's just kind of boring. He takes way too long to die. Uh, when Hodge uh, blew from old school, when he gets killed, it's kind of boring. Yeah. When Galen brings the rocks down upon the dragon's lair, it takes forever. We see about thirty-two different shots of the rocks falling down. It's kind of boring. The scene, the actual lottery scene, when our princess Elspeth. Uh, actually puts her name on every single one. She's kind of sacrificing herself, you know, in this show of bravery, kind of fucking boring. Galen gets a cool spear should have been, I mean, it's the idea is cool. but not a lot of development. It's kind of boring. You see where I'm going with this, yeah. like things are happening, but that with the execution of it is just kind of boring and I'm not invested. That was the problem I kept having. So I put, I was like, I, you and I need to develop a new segment called when shit finally happens, because. Like when the Virgin gets incinerated at the beginning, some, there's some good effects in there, the dragon, et cetera. That's not until the 25 minute mark. We kind of get a silhouette of the dragon's head, which that's kind of cool. That's not until the 56 minute mark. We see the dragon fly and breathe fire. And then anyway, bottom line is like things, you know, there's like 25 minute breaks in between things that actually are exciting that happen in this film. So I had a lot of issues with that. And then I'm just going to jump into this issue real quick that I'm going to file with our complaints department is when Galen uh, is about to, I think is this when he's either about to go to face the dragon or b- before that, but he's talking to Valerian and she feels that he's in love with the princess. I don't know why she, and, yeah, I and he says, that. I don't love the princess. I love you. And they begin making out on the rocks. And I was like, what? They're in love now. When did that happen? We saw maybe a little bit of flirtation. Galen was, you know, once uh, Valerian is known to be a woman at at this point, you know, he dances with her. It's a kind of a romantic scene, but I don't know. It's way underdeveloped. And now they're in love. And that was another issue I had.
0: Yeah. And even with Valerian presenting herself for the first time, you know, the lottery's upcoming up. I wouldn't be hundred percent sure, you know, that dragon's uh, dead or not. I would have waited until after the lottery, and then, hey, look, I'm a girl now, so right. at least at least that buys you six months. Right,
1: <laughs> that's right. So for the listeners, just to be clear, Valerian, who is uh, the female lead in this film, presents herself as a young man in the beginning of the film because she's avoiding not the lottery. Anyone? No, she has very uh, feminine qualities about her. And uh, it's very clear that she is a woman, but um, it is later revealed and because she comes out to everyone as a woman because she feels as though Galen has killed the dragon and there will no longer be no longer be a lottery. And because she's a virgin, then now she's safe, but doesn't turn out to be. So anyway, there that whole love story just happened way too quickly uh, and also was underdeveloped. And I was like, whatever.
0: And just to clear it up, when she reveals herself as a woman to the village, she just comes out in a dress. So it's not like she's right. Right naked and said, Look at me. I'm a woman. I got boobs. So just, <laughs> just to clear that up for people. Right, and I kind of made it sound like, Yeah, she's like. Oh, well, I think we were both kind of, you know, that hmm. way, just like, how does she declare herself as a woman? Pseudo complaint, pseudo question. Would you have trusted the shield that Valerian made for Galen? Would you have trusted that shield? Even though you know it's.
1: Made out Correct. of dragon scales.
0: Yes, as in
1: trusted it, meaning that it would. It work. just hasn't. Been right, that it's going to be totally fire retardant.
0: Yes, because a yeah. for me, I'm like that's flame retardant. Yeah, that shield is way too small. I'm like, I need the stubble incised. And then I don't know how she tied the scales together. Because <laughs> if she uses rope, the first time the dragon head sat, the rope incinerates, and then your shield falls apart. Right. We would hope
1: she used some sort of she somehow like clay made this- that hardened into like some sort of cement that kind of, you know, what you would use to lay bricks, basically, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I, that's a good point. And I, was like, I couldn't help but is- think of that, too, is when Galen's taking the brunt of the fire breathing. And I would be like, even if it's a small shield and you're kneeling down and ducking behind it, how hot are those flames? You're cooking anyway. Yeah. No doubt about it. That took some real suspension of disbelief, but you're right. Not having tested out. See again, development, it kind of, that kind of would have been fun scene just to test the, the shield. Yeah. Like somebody, you know, get a local villager with that just happens to have like a flamethrower handy. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I I would want, or just like put a torch to it or something. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I'd want the shield the size of like my nose to my ankle. Yeah, exactly. And just, you just slide the arm in it and hold it up like it's a door. Yeah, one of a full of door. body shield. Yes. That's yeah, what yeah, I yeah, would yeah. want against that thing.
1: No doubt. Good point. Or one that had like uh an extremely wide like curvature. So it even could kind of protect you from the side mm-hmm. from the side angles. That's a good point. Yeah. I thought about that too. That's a good good uh that's a good issue. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Now so my my last one is like we're guessing why. But why couldn't Erlik tell Galen his plan? Just make it easy. Right. Just make it easy on him. I know there's like a growth aspect to it, but say he never figured out that he was supposed to dump his ashes into the, the fire water. Because I missed that line in the movie. I missed why did he figure that out to do that besides seeing the vision? And then he said, oh, Hodge Right, because Hodge
1: says it in his death throes. Yeah, I yeah. said, I missed it. Yeah.
0: It seemed like such a throwaway that yeah that made no sense some of the
1: i'll be honest some of the with the sound design some of the dialogue was a little rough to mm-hmm. to understand at times and that was one of those lines where it feels like hodge just kind of throws it away that line away
0: a little bit yeah so you, i you wish there was yeah. a better explanation or a better way that he figured out how to do that that he could bring him back agreed it's a cool idea it's just not developed it's not fully seen
1: through yeah i, I don't know because and again, or it happens too quickly, and you're just like, wait, he just figured it out now, and then that's we're good.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: how did that seem a little bit sudden? Just like, oh, you're in love with Valerian now? That's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, so, it's for me, this film, as though, you know, we know it's tough times in the dark ages, it's the sixth century. And we've got a fire-breathing dragon. There's violence. But outside of the the Virgin, in the, about 25 minutes into the film being sacrificed, and we see that the bloody hands sliding through the shackles, it's not extremely like overly violent. And then we get to that final sequence with, it's not even the final sequence, excuse me, it's the next to the final sequence with Galen going in up against Vermithrax, and Princess Elspeth has gone in to sacrifice herself, and she does. She dies. A gratuitous death. It's graphic, man. Her corpse is lying on the ground, and you have two or three baby dragons chewing, gnawing on her flesh. Literally, granted, she's already dead, but still, what the hell? One of the baby dragons chews her fucking foot off. I actually chuckled. I was like, why is there this gratuitous violent, like graphic violence? All of a sudden I was like, this is, that's gross. Okay, cool. And the baby dragons, I don't know what the hell they were really doing there anyway in the movie, but I just thought that was kind of, and it was, it was a little bit comedic, I guess you could say anyway, but it was just a little bit of a That was kind of an issue. I'm like, what you didn't have any, but now you got these things gnawing on a corpse. It's just kind of gross. It just felt out of place for some reason.
0: And I'll say this because, as much as I loved the dragons, the baby dragons were not impressive. And I think that's why yeah. I laughed at when it basically tore, tore her leg off. Because you're kind of like, "Oh, that's so cheeseball looking." Yeah, yeah. The baby yeah. dragons were not good.
1: They didn't. They were kind of slimy and gross. And with their open their their mouths, it was kind of they're like drooling and they just look weird. You know what? It, you know what the baby dragon reminded me of? What? Cuatro.
0: From Total Recall? <laughs> I'm sure it did. quite
1: <laughs> I had to work it in there one way or another. man.
0: And that was it. That was my opening. There you go. But yeah, even the way he defeated that last one, where he just kind of hit it in the head like four times. Oh, when he beats it over the head
1: with the torch?
0: Yeah, it knocks it unconscious, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Give it a concussion. He kills the Unless... first
1: one with the ultimate spear, but it only takes a few thuds from the, the torch to kill the last one. Yeah, amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not not a fan of the baby dragons. So
1: speaking of Princess Elspeth, I'm just gonna say Elspeth again. Okay, the king should be executed for naming her Elspeth. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah. Hey, here's another idea. When you're beneath a dragon and you see the dragon inhale deeply, run for your fucking life. Just a thought. Freezing is a bad idea because you're about to be thought out real quick. Yep. You see what I did there, Bill? Yes. Freezing, thought out. That happened a f- couple of times in the movie. It's just like, you can literally see the dragon reeling back as he's inhaling and you just stand there. Not a good idea.
0: I know. They're like, what is he going to sneeze? Should I say, bless you. And yeah, now you just became s'more. Thank you. Hey, Bill, what was Tyrion's purpose?
1: We see Tyrion show up. I got confused by this, man. Tyrion is supposed to be like the commander of the king's guard. Okay. And he shows up in the beginning to face Ulrich before Ulrich takes off with Valerian and everybody to go fight the dragon. Right. And Tyrion shows up. What was his purpose? What is Tyrion trying to do on behalf of the king? Or what was he? What were the king's orders that he was following?
0: I couldn't figure that out because I, I wasn't sure what his role was. What he showed, I just thought like at first I thought he was like some marauder.
1: Right. He does because, but Valerian recognizes him and says Tyrion, what are you doing here? And he says something to the effect of like he's supposed to stop Ulrich. from like. At, and I at first I thought it was a competition. Like Tyrion wanted to be the one to defeat. The dragon. Right. So it was going to be, he was going to face off with Ulrich, like a test of some sort. And that's why there was a test. Like, that's what I thought. But no, Tyrion is supposedly operating on behalf of the king, like the king's orders, meaning the king is set in his ways. This is how we appease the dragon. We, every, you know, two solstices, you know, six months between, we sacrifice a virgin. And that's the only way. We don't want any sorcerer interfering just in case they might piss off the dragon and ruin our whole arrangement we have you know already set Yeah, I guess that's what we're supposed to go with I guess it was just it was weird I couldn't I was like why is Tyrion so you would think anybody in this entire land of well it's called Erland would want the sorcerer like everybody would want a sorcerer anybody to defeat the dragon because once the dragon's out of the picture everybody's safe yeah isn't that what
0: everybody wants yeah exactly because you don't think the king's really getting anything out of it Going through this.
1: Very confusing.
0: Yeah. Cause I almost felt like he had another motive, but we never found out what it was.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm going to get through. Yeah. I apologize. I'm going to get through these issues, man. I just, I got a lot of issues. Go ahead. Got a lot of issues tonight, Bill. So Galen is not our hero. Yes. He is brave. Yes. He's got brass balls, but he only has powers because of the amulet. So in the end, we know or discover that he is not a sorcerer. Ulrich is the sorcerer and ultimately defeats the dragon. So Ulrich is the hero. Thus, basically, from the moment in the beginning when Ulrich sacrifices himself to the moment he is resurrected at the end, in between that time, Galen is simply stirring up shit? Yeah. Is that kind of what he does? Kind of stirs it up a little bit. Yeah, it kind of makes it a little worse. Kind of does. And then... Yes, he's brave and goes and faces Vermithrax the dragon, but doesn't kill him, kill her.
0: Right. Right? Yeah. He just uh, pisses her off.
1: Right. So then in the end, like I said, Ulrich is the hero. The king takes credit for slaying the dragon. Oh, and then hilarious. Galen Galen wishes for a horse and Shadowfax shows up. Shadowfax being Gandalf's horse for Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Right? I mean, would, would then Galen return Shadowfax to Gandalf years later? I'm just saying Galen may not be a sorcerer, but is he a horse whisperer? Maybe. I'm just really confused here.
0: Yeah, because you think about it too, Galen was just going to run away until he realized what he was supposed to do with the ashes. He's just going to bitch out. Right. Like, here, I'm just going to make things worse. See you guys later. Bye. <laughs> That's what was going to happen. Yeah. Say they didn't take the boat. He never would have had the vision. Oh, yeah. Those poor villagers all would have been killed eventually.
1: All right, Bill. Thanks thanks for listening, man. I feel feel a lot better. I felt like that segment was really cathartic for me. I got my issues out tonight. Awesome.
0: Cool. All right. So let's move on uh, to our next segment, which is, hey, it's that actor. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. So, Jason, who's your, hey, it's that actor.
1: That's great, man. Emphasis on the, hey. All right, I've been dancing around this. Brother Jacobus, who shows up in one of my favorite scenes, he's basically the the father or priest that gets incinerated. He is played by the one, the only Ian McDermott, who we all know and love as the Emperor. From the Star Wars films, uh wonderful actor, a uh, character actor. I mean, he immediately recognizable. Of course, you see his name in the opening credits. But then when he appears, his brother, Jacobus or Jacobus, I don't even. Yeah, I've probably been saying that wrong this entire time. Uh He's just amazing. It's that voice. It's his presence. It's his look. I don't need to go down the entire list of his IMDb credits, but he's the emperor, man. And that's all I can
0: think of when I see the guy. Yeah, it was uh, so. cool seeing him young. In, yeah, in for way. sure. Yeah, it was kind of cool seeing him like, oh, yeah, we're just used to see him and all that heavy makeup as Zamper. Uh, so to see him like that, I was kind of excited. But, yeah, you knew right away. I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. Awesome. Yeah. Could have used his force powers in the dragon. Could have <sighs> just wiped him out right then. Oh, well.
1: Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my uh, it's, it's that actor. Okay. So who is your hey is that actor?
0: Yeah, and I think that's another thing with this movie, too. It's like so hard to say all the characters' names. We're just flubbing over them left yeah, and right. Yeah, just go with
1: it. Just make it up, man. Just make it up as you go along.
0: So for me watching this movie the whole time, I was like, who is Tyrion? It was driving me nuts. So the actor who plays Tyrion is John Halem. I think I'm saying that right, hopefully. Who played Loro in Flash Gordon? And who was okay. Loro, yeah. you ask? Laura was Prince Fulton's second-in-command for the Hawkmen. Anytime you see, awesome, just awesome. Laura is always standing like right off his shoulder. I think that's right. Yeah, and he's kind of his uh, second in command. That was driving me nuts. I'm like, I know I've seen this guy somewhere before. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, So I looked at the credits. I was like, Oh my god, Flash Gordon! How awesome! That's who Tyrion is. John Hallam, Laura. Uh, Flash Gordon. Just a great. That's that's just incredible. And all
1: I want to do is watch Flash Gordon now. Yes.
0: Uh, So moving on to our next segment, we got facts and trivia. So what are some facts and trivia we can share with our audience for dragon slayer?
1: I'll tell you right off the bat. uh, We have our director writer, Matthew Robbins, who worked alongside uh, Hal Barwood, Hal Barwood co-wrote this with Matthew Robbins. The screenplay was eventually accepted by Paramount Pictures and Walt Disney Productions, becoming the two studios' second joint effort after the 1980 film Popeye. Paramount handled the North American distribution, while Disney's Buena Vista International handled international distribution. So there you go. And then when this film was released, it was a little controversial because of the dark nature of the film and some of the violence And even some of the slight nudity uh, because Disney obviously at the time known for making children's films, uh, especially animated films. So even though their Buena Vista international division handled the international distribution, it was paramount that used, you know, uh, handled the uh, stateside distribution It was still associated with Disney. So, yeah, it was a little controversial for Disney.
0: Yeah, definitely should have been PG-13 at worst.
1: Right. I mean, it was, yeah, it was only PG. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. we didn't so there PG you go.
0: 13 yet. Um, yeah. So this was the, we mentioned this, some of this before. So this was the film debut of both Caitlin Clark, who played Valerian, and Peter McNichol, who played Galen. So this was their first film. Like I said I liked them both. I thought, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job. I think they were just limited by the script. Yep. Yeah. I thought Caitlin was adorable, but I thought she was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was a cutie.
1: As a man and as a woman.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we can't go into enough uh, about speaking about the uh, the dragon. So 25% of the film's budget went into the special effects to bring Vermithrax to life. And I think the budget of the film, which I would talk about later, was $18 million. Yeah. Yeah, do the math there at home yourself, pen and paper.
1: There you go. Figure it out. Yep. Do a little work on your own rewarding and did you have more to add to that no that was it so you were speaking of the uh bringing the dragon to life well phil Tippett, if you're a star wars fan you might know that name phil Tippett of ilm industrial light and maggot uh maggot industrial <laughs> light and maggots that's a different effects company
0: yes. i want to
1: be talking about industrial light and magic finalized the dragon's design and sculpted a reference model which Danny Lee of Disney Studios closely followed in constructing the larger dragon props for close-up shots. Two months later, Lee's team finished building a 16-foot head and neck assembly, 20-foot tail, thighs and legs, and claws capable of grabbing a man, and a 30-foot wide wing section. The parts were flown to Pinewood Studios outside London in the cargo hold of a Boeing 747. There you go. That wow. uh, there, they put some work into that. Yes,
0: it was. It shows. Like, yeah, it and shows. as I, I
1: mentioned earlier, uh, because Phil Tippett had worked on the stop motion animation for the Star Wars films, he developed it into go motion for more fluid motion of the dragon. This was the first movie to use go motion, a variant of the stop motion animation in which parts of the model. In this case, the dragon were mechanized and the movement programmed by computer. So during shooting, the computer moves the model while the camera is shooting, resulting in motion blur, which makes the animation more convincing.
0: Like I said, I'll just just,
1: go ahead, man. Go ahead.
0: No, just saying, because just that shot of the dragon going running down the tunnel. is Yes, that's that's the perfect example. Yes, it's amazing. Um, So to create the dragon fire, the special effects team used a pair of military style flamethrowers. Makes sense. I think they actually end up giving one of those flamethrowers to Fireball in the Running Man. I think. <laughs> I think he uses that as his weapon later on. I just made that part up. R.I.P. Fireball. Yep. I just got a reference back an old podcast. Sorry. We, we. Hey.
1: Yeah. That's all I could think of.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: The inherent danger of using flamethrowers. I just. Yeah. What was the other? Was that? Was that for Running Man? When I was talking about. Uh, no, I thought that was a different pod we did when I was talking about. The trial and error with flamethrowers.
0: How dangerous
1: it could be. Uh, Oh, it must have been aliens. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because talking about Sigourney Weaver having to use it. Yeah. In that sequence, of course. Mm -hmm. What World War II era flamethrowers. That's crazy.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, Yeah. And uh, the animals used for the dragon's vocalizations included lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars, alligators, pigs, camels, and elephants. So... There mess. you go, guys. A little behind the scenes on the dragon. Nice.
0: Anything else for facts trivia?
1: That's all I got,
0: Matt. All right. So uh, let's move on to the box office. So this movie was released on June 26th, 1981 on a budget of around $18 million. It only made around $6 million domestically Ooh, and totaled 14.1 worldwide. So this oh, was no. a flop. So it debuted at number eight at the box office and was out of the top 10 by its third week. So when it came out on June 26th, this, these were the top three movies in the theater when this came out. So this is this is what it was going up against. Uh, so the number one movie that week was Superman 2. Sure. Um, number two Makes was sense. The Cannonball Run.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, sure.
0: And uh, number three at that time was a little known movie, as we've mentioned before, was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that was one, two, and three when that came out. And then five movies came out that day, uh, the same day as Dragon Slayer. So out of the five that came out, fourth best debut. Here's the other three movies that did better than it on its first week of release. James Bond's For Your Eyes Only. All right. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Stripes with Bill Murray. Oh Man. And The Great Muppet Caper. (laughs) So that's. So that right there, that's six of the movies that are ahead of it on its first week. I'm like, how you can't compete with that? It definitely oh, came out the tough. wrong time. They should they should have moved this to the fall schedule or, yeah, that's rough, man. Yeah, the only other the movie that came out that week that did better was was Force Five, which I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that movie. It's a like a kung fu movie, debuted at number ten. And the other movie in the top ten that was ahead of Dragon Slayer was Clash of the Titans.
1: That's amazing. You know why? Because I literally was thinking of Clash of the Titans at the beginning of this pod because of the fact that that was another one that was on cable that I watched repeatedly. Oh, yeah. oh, but that, that, was that one, one, that one I would watch from beginning to end, Yeah, actually. I loved that movie as a kid. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Is that Harry Hamlin? Yep. Medusa, man. Scared the hell out of me as a kid. Oh, yeah. You kidding me? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. You look at those... Seven movies ahead of it. Dragon Slayer had no show. Heavy hitters, man. Exactly.
1: Definitely murderers row there.
0: All right. Um. So let's move on to reviews. So when growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their opinion of Dragon Slayer was unanimous. They both gave it a thumbs up. Um, nice. Cicely and Ebert both found the movie to be fun and were impressed with the dragon and special effects, as we were. Ebert liked the grittiness and realistic feel of the time, period, while Gene liked the budding romance between Peter McNichol and Caitlin Clark, which we had, uh, we, had we, didn't, we didn't see it. We got the romance, there's just no budding. Exactly. <laughs> it was like, I see you nude. You looked good in the dress. I love you. That's basically <laughs> what happened. That's basically how it happened. I don't know. I don't know. Was there another scene that I missed?
1: Yeah. I, apparently, we're still waiting for that scene in the director's cut. Yeah, I guess so.
0: All right. So uh, that brings us to our final thoughts. So, what are your final thoughts on Dragon Slayer? I just wanted to give a
1: shout out to Peter McNichol because I've always liked him. And I still, Bill, I love your posts on Twitter because it's you post a picture of an actor. And you said, well, what's the first movie you think of when you see this actor? And the first movie I think of when I see Peter McNichol is Ghostbusters 2. Yes. That's what I think of. I'm still associated with that. He's great in it. He's hilarious. He's wonderful. Uh, great, you know, character actor, but in this, he's the leading man and he's quite capable. I also think of him as, uh, you know, John Cage in the, in the show, Ally McBeal. He portrayed Tom Lennox uh, on the show 24 It is said in the research, I don't know whether or not this is true, but Peter McNichol is said to be embarrassed by this movie, Dragon Slayer, and does not list it on his CV, which is something I hear more often now, which is basically curriculum vitae, I believe, vitae, which is uh, like your life curriculum, your human resume. But uh, yeah, yeah. So there you go. All right. I just wanted to, yeah, uh, give you a shout out to Peter McNichol because I'm a fan. I just, I'm a fan of his work. I think he's an excellent actor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also, I should have put this in, just speaking of him, I did not put this in the fun facts tribute, but uh, Eric Roberts supposedly was considered to play Galen instead of, uh, so it wasn't just Peter McNichol.
0: Or Stallone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. I got to do that. I,
1: I, you know, I keep, I just, I assume that all the listeners already know. That out there that Stallone, of course, uh, you Not know,
0: for every 80s movie. Yeah. That he just passed on the role of Galen. Yeah. Eric Roberts would have been interesting because he would I could have see more it. of that period look than mm-hmm. Peter McNichol did. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. That would make sense to me. Yeah.
1: Here's the full name of our beloved dragon. Vermithrax pejorative.
0: Oh, nice. I was not going to attempt saying it, so I'm glad you did it.
1: So cool. So I just put up pretty much the coolest name for a dragon ever. I mean, you can put up, you know, you got from Game of Thrones, uh, Khaleesi had Drogon, Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal, which are pretty cool. But speaking of which, Game of Thrones, based on the book series A Song of Ice and Fire and written by author George R. R. Martin, he once has ranked Dragon Slayer as the fifth best fantasy film of all time and called Vermithrax the best dragon ever put on film and the one with the coolest dragon name as well. High praise from the creator of A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. Uh, also, director Guillermo del Toro said that Dragon Slayer one of the best and one of the strongest landmarks of dragon movies that almost nobody can overcome the design of Vermithrax pejorative is perhaps one of the most perfect creature designs ever made again, high praise from big time guys. Guillermo de Toro. I'm actually a fan of his of Guillermo's. So
0: there's some fun stuff there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why you're seeing this movie is the dragon because that's, yeah. That's the coolest part of the, Every time you see the dragon, any any part you see of the dragon, just watching the dragon move, just the dragon effects and knowing that it's not computer animated, like someone built this. It's a, it's amazing. And that's basically yeah. what I say. But like you said, too, you might as well just skip the first hour. You know, I have that at the very end.
1: I I think so. And just back to the dragon again, because you just can't say enough. you got to put this in perspective. The effects for the time were freaking amazing. The effects at this time, present day, Some of them still hold up. That's how good it is. And this time, I especially appreciated the shots, again, of Vermithrax crawling through the narrow passages. I also wrote down, this was the Queen Alien before the Queen Alien. Yeah. You know, from Aliens in 86. So this is 81. But like the shot of Vermithrax rising from the water behind Galen. Yes. Just like the alien coming out of the water behind Newt in yep. Aliens. That's a good one. The hissing, the breathing, you know, just a lot of the sound design. To me, it just had, it just kind of felt like the queen, the queen alien. There are some other cool things I liked about this. You know, the, the, some of the magic, even though, you know, it's like he was using the force basically back being Galen. Some of the effects of that, the the magic tricks were pretty, pretty solid. And I also like the idea, this goes into the lore again, that was just kind of underdeveloped, was the fact that the amulet chose Galen. So there was like one cool effect where uh, the king had taken the amulet from Galen and then decides to return it to him. And he puts it down on a table and the amulet literally crawls across the table right towards Galen. I thought that was a cool effect. It was like, okay, it's drawn to Galen. Yeah. So I like I liked some of that stuff that
0: just lends itself to the lore, but it's just not fully developed in the movie. But There's just a lot of things they kind of took out or added just to make this a better movie. But if you're going to watch it, you're, you're watching it to see the dragon. That's all I can say. Um, yeah. I have to say my favorite line of the movie yeah. is from Hodge. When the group gets to the castle the first time, and he's like, "Yes, this is uh, Craig and Moore, and yes, this is the House of Ehrlich, and no, he won't see you." And like, but, and then just classic. I know you've come a long way. You're busy right. surgeon. It doesn't matter. He sees no one. That made me laugh out loud because you're like, you know, that was what they were going to say next. And there's so many times you see in the movie where they do that. Like, We've come a long way, and just it's the fact true. he cuts him off and just says it right there. Right. It's pretty the, clever,
1: actually. You're right. You're yeah, right. I thought that was really actually it's
0: my favorite line of the film.
1: You, uh, that's good stuff man that's a good call and uh, then she's like please and he says please
0: yourself <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, uh, she, she's a virgin so she could be I don't know Oh, hello. Yo, there yep. there it oh is. the show just went PG 13 <laughs> that's great oh,
1: so I don't did you have any other thoughts I think I've touched on mine I had a question for you though
0: yeah go with the question let's do it and then you do final thoughts
1: What's your favorite dragon movie, Bill? What do you think? What do you think is the best dragon movie? I'm just going to, these aren't all of them. So I'm sure the the viewers out there, please send us your favorite or uh, dragon movies. But I'm going to put this out here for you, Bill. Okay. Dragon Slayer, Dragon Heart, Pete's Dragon, How to Train Your Dragon, Aragon, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, or Reign of Fire. Oh, Rain of
0: Fire was fun. That's a fun one. I got some thoughts on that. Um,
1: I'm a I, fan of Rain of Fire. Yes, I've watched that movie several times. I'm a fan.
0: Yeah, I saw that in the theater. I love that one. Uh, yeah, man, I do like the How to Train the Dragon. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh god, maybe, yeah. I might go back to Rain of Fire then. I, hey, man, we're in we're in agreement on this. Wasn't that the same designer too? Supposedly, who designed? Yes, it? yes, okay.
1: From Dragon Slayer, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. He worked on Rain of Fire on those, and he it really? was kind of a hybrid. He used some of the design from Dragon Slayer, but then added in more of a dinosaur effect.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just, that is just a fun popcorn film. Just check your brain at the door, yeah. And just enjoy yourself. So you got Christian Bale in that, yeah, and then you got a. Fucking
1: crazy Matthew McConaughey with his shaved head. Oh, yes. Has one of the best deaths.
0: Yes. That is of awesome. All time. Oh, yeah. I remember the leaping of the off theater. the top of them with the axe. And,
1: or they just Yikes. get swallowed by the dragon. Oh,
0: yeah. I think that's the first time I like cheered when a good guy died because just like, what a way to go. Yes. I was excited <laughs> about it. I was excited about it. But that and- was a movie. I remember I went and saw it and I was one of the few people in the theater. Oh, yeah. And it's so a good, it I a think
1: it's a good movie, to be honest. I think yeah. it's a pretty solid movie. And I like the lore of that film, like the, the, the background of how the world, like that's a post-apocalyptic kind of dystopian future. Yeah. And the story that, you know, Christian Bale has is from a child to how, you know, and I, I just think it's a well-developed, film. it's just really cool. And you know, who has a kind of is an unsung hero or um, he's not by any means of that guy, but who also is in that film. Is Jerry Butler, Gerard Butler, is oh, plays a major role in that film. Yes. He's got long, a little bit longer hair, full beard. He's almost unrecognizable. Yes, And he's great. In it.
0: I totally forgot about that. I got to see that again. He's
1: Christian time. Bale's like best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now I'm itching to see Rain of Fire*.
1: Do it, man! Great title, too. Yes, just cool. It, it's a. It's a. I thought the design of the dragons as well, and I thought that they were frightening. They were. They made it frightening. Mm -hmm. too, in that movie. And you know, you got to watch Game of Thrones. It's not a movie. It's a television show. But I thought, if you ever watch it, you'll see they perfected it. They did. The the effects. I'll always be partial to practical effects. But Game of Thrones, man, the dragons in that are absolutely pristine and they're amazing. The closest I've seen CG to Coming to, to perfection. It's that close. It's amazing. The dragons just steal the show every time, but that's TV. That's a TV show, different right. uh, medium, but same genre anyway. Yeah. So we agree. Reign of fire. I, you know, I'll have to revisit Dragonheart at some point. I just, uh, I
0: don't know if I'd want to,
1: I, I don't know if I'd watch the entire thing. I just don't remember enjoying it that much. And there's like four uh, or
0: five of them for what I understand. They may have oh, like, yeah. directed video sequels or something.
1: Right. I did watch the Hobbit Desolation of Smog.
0: I like those, but yeah.
1: Hey, Benedict Cumberbatch,
0: the voice of Smog. Yeah. Good stuff. But for dragon fun, yeah, I put Rain of Fire first, and the second, How to Train Your Dragon. The first one. Hob- yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's a fun, yeah, it's a fun family movie. Yeah, for sure. So that's all I got, man. I, I was
1: just gonna close it up with you know, just as far as would you recommend this movie?
0: Actually, Bill Bat, I would recommend they remake it. That was my recommendation. That's good. And yeah, if you are going to watch it, it's like I said, it's going to it's hard to get through that first hour, but once you see the dragon and you are just amazed of what they could do there, then back in nineteen eighty one, that's that's the selling point. The whole selling point is that dragon, and that's why you want to see this movie. So yeah, it's it's like a slight recommendation.
1: I I completely agree. I felt that it was a little boring. It was a little weird, but not that weird. It was just flat for me. And it is that first hour to an hour and 20 minutes that drag a little bit. And then there's slight highlights. And then yes, once Galen faces off with the dragon, it it cooks a little bit and then kind of gets weird at the end again. So, I would recommend it. It's it's one of those things you just have to look at it now with a certain perspective, because things are different now. We're accustomed to different types of filmmaking and storytelling, but it definitely has its place in history from the effects perspective, and you gotta respect it for what it accomplished uh, regarding that that uh, Vermin Thrax pejorative. Mm-hmm. Just she's awesome, and uh, steals the the movie. So if anything, if you want to get an idea of what the movie is, you just have to watch the last half hour. That's all. You know, mm-hmm. you're not really missing a whole lot if you, if you don't watch the first hour. twenty.
0: No, that's true. Everything you mean right there is in the last quarter of the film. Yeah,
1: but it, I'm glad we watched it again. Uh, and it was fun to talk about it with you, Bill.
0: Yeah, it was, it was fun to go back and, and revisit it. It's been a long time. Okay, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, on a programming note, we will not be releasing an episode next week because of the 4th of July holiday. So happy 4th, everyone. But the following week, we will be starting our Summer at the Cinema, where Jason and I will be yeah. discussing four movies that take place during these summer months. Our first movie will be Summer School, starring Mark Harmon, Kirsty Alley, and Courtney Thorne Smith. So as always, please subscribe and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great day, everyone.
1: Absolutely. Have a safe and happy 4th of July. And thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.